Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for our Wednesday evening Bible study. Uh, once again, we wish we could be together, uh, but with the lingering icy conditions, we thought it'd be best that we gather this way tonight. And uh, nonetheless, uh, we believe that God's going to speak to us in a big way. Um, we will not be beginning our new Romans Bible study that I've been talking a lot about, and I'm really excited to get into, but I want to wait until we are in the house and gathered together to begin that one. Um, and I can't wait, uh, hopefully next week, that we'll open our Bibles together and God's Spirit will move in our midst uh, and, and really bless us as we begin uh, what will be a, a pretty long study in the book of Romans. But nonetheless, I'm glad we have this platform uh, online and virtually. I'm glad that we can still meet. We can still open God's Word together. The Holy Spirit can still move in our midst, uh, not from person to person in the room, right? But from screen to screen, uh, from heart to heart, and he knits us together uh, with his word and with his spirit from page to person. Uh, God's gonna speak to us tonight. And, and as we're all gathered together, different places, uh, you know, maybe different times that you're listening to this, uh, it, it still can be the same um, as, as when we meet together because we are coming together for the official purpose of glorifying God uh, and learning from his word, hoping to, you know, apply something to our our hearts that would make us more like him and more on mission for him. So uh, I do want to ask you to just to pray for this weekend. Hopefully we'll be able to come together Sunday. I know there's some more winter weather coming our way, but hopefully that's in and out of here this Friday and we'll be able to come together Sunday morning uh, for a, a great time of worship. Uh, uh, again, thank you for your prayers for Lindsay and I. Uh, our baby is doing great. Uh, she is growing already and it's uh, really so amazing to watch her, uh, you know, watch just her do life and, and, and be a part of our lives. Uh, we can't wait uh, for you all to meet her and uh, hopefully that'll be sooner than later. Uh, let's pray for all those that uh, are sick, going through something tonight that we might not be aware of. If we can pray for you in any specific way, let us know in the comments of this video. Uh, and if you're watching this and you think, man, I would love for somebody else to, to my friend, my family member, coworker, to, to hear this message, uh, just hit the share button right below the video and uh, get the word out about what God is doing here at Risen Church and about what God is trying to speak to us from his word tonight. Uh, and what we're gonna do tonight is uh, do kind of a one-off Bible study in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open up with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, this is one of the greatest untold, unheralded stories of ancient Israel. Now, maybe you've heard it before, but this is not as famous as some of the uh, Old Testament stories that you probably learned in Sunday school and heard preached all your life. Um, in, in fact, this story, this account was actually left out of the first volume of Israel's history. Now, you'll know that first and second Kings uh, tell the uh, original history, if you will, of the nation of Israel after it was established by David under King Solomon and all the way to the end of, of the line when the people were exiled to Babylon. Uh, but Chronicles was written years later uh, by Ezra. Ezra was a priest and a scribe and God rose up Ezra and gave him inspiration and gave him the initiative to put together uh, an updated, revised version of Israel's history when the people had come back to the land years after exile and they were rebuilding. And God was using Ezra uh, as retelling the story, using this retelling process to motivate the people uh, to rebuild and resettle the land. And, and by reminding them of what God had done before, um, as they were trying to restart and reestablish the land and, and you know, restart the temple practices and all that, um, God was using Ezra and God used Chronicles to 
remind Israel about their history and hopefully inspire them and motivate them to write their own history and to make their own history um, as they were still God's people, um, even after all that they had been through. And, and there are a few stories, just a few, there are a few stories that are exclusively found in Chronicles that are not recorded um, in Samuel or in Kings or any other of the historical books, the Old Testament. And chapter 20's account is one of those uh, few episodes. Now, I, I think it fits with the overall theme of the book, Chapter 20 uh, concerns a man in a generation, uh, his generation, who had uh, made their mind up to do the right thing. They had established and made, it, made a decision, we're going to do the right thing, we're going to follow God, we're going to choose God and, and seek him first, uh, no matter what the world tempts us with. Um, and, and if you study the, the chapters before this, this individual and his generation, they had uh, overcame temptations and they had overcame obstacles. And yet after all of that, they face what is probably their greatest challenge ever in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles. Now, this would have sent a message to Ezra's generation that could not, that they could not let their guard down, that no matter what they had already accomplished, that there could be yet another challenge on the way. And uh, even though they were established and organized, they would still face challenges and they would still face obstacles and struggles, and they had to be prepared for those things. Um, yet this account would have instilled in them and to them uh, the utmost of hope that even though the challenges they faced would be great, God was greater. That no matter how great the challenge is, God is greater still. And isn't that a message that resonates with us in today's world? That, in fact, the great challenge that we face, the great challenge you may be facing tonight, the great challenge of our generation, the great challenge may have simply been allowed to transpire so that the greatness of God could be on display. Do you believe that? And do you track with that? That God may have allowed you to face the challenge so that you might would embrace the greatness of the God who is greater than the challenge that God has brought you to this point so that he might make his power known, so that he might make it known to the generation that he is greater than the greatest of challenges that we face. You know, that's the attitude that Christians ought to have. Uh, we serve an undefeated, infinite God who is unlimited in resources and uncontested in might. That is who our God is, and we ought to face every challenge with an attitude that our God is greater. And no matter what comes out of the challenge, if we are on his side and he is on our side, we're going to come through this victorious. Whether it looks, this, it looks that way in the flesh or not, whether we come out banged up or not, no matter what the physical condition is, once we come through this challenge, Spiritually and internally, we are going to come through with a victory. We are going to come through with something that God gave us in that challenge that we could not have gotten otherwise. And yes, the challenge was great, but God was greater. And we had to go through the challenge so that we might understand that our God is greater and that we might communicate to the world that our God is greater. This is who our God is. And, and, and God wanted this story to be inscribed in the scriptures so that every generation might have an amazing account of his power on display. But as important as the power of God is the pursuit from his people that's on record in the story. Because yes, God is infinite and God is mighty, but the people, and specifically the person this chapter is all about, they pursued God with relentless passion. And that is 
as important. Judah's king at the time was a man named Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, you've probably heard his name before. Uh, He led the nation into spiritual prosperity. He led the nation in reform and he helped the nation avoid some landmines along the way. But as godly as he was and as devout as he was, he would face his greatest challenge ever in 2 Chronicles 20. So I'd like for you to open up to this chapter tonight and I want you to look at this story with me tonight and and I want us to pay attention to the approach Jehoshaphat takes in addressing the threat, how he sizes it up and how he responds to it because it's really quite amazing. But the way he approaches it is so practical that we can still follow the same pathway all these years later and we can still see victory the same way he saw it. So look, look at your Bibles with me. Chapter 20, verse one and two. And it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria. And they are in Hazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. Now, the watchers on the wall, and there would have been watchtowers all along the highways of Jerusalem going north, south, east, and west, but this specifically was coming from the south down toward the Dead Sea. But the watchers on the wall and the watchtowers were positioned every so many miles that they would have saw this innumerable army forming. And, and as they begin to see it forming, more and more begin to come into the picture, and they were marching towards Jerusalem. Now, while they were still about 20 miles away, a report came to Jehoshaphat that the Moabites had organized an alliance, an unholy alliance against Judah, and they were ready to settle an old score. They had been building up and they had been you know, focusing on this opportunity for years and years. And finally, they were gonna get their revenge against Judah. Now, verse three informs us that Jehoshaphat does not miss a beat, that he reacts a very specific way now, the first reaction that we read that, that he displays is very relatable because it's normal and it's natural and it's human. But then he reacts in ways that may not be normal, may not be natural, but we're gonna talk about how it can be the way we react to the challenges that we face and the things that come against us. So look at verse three. And Jehoshaphat feared. Of course he did. Because when you are the king of a nation that is vulnerable and is surrounded by many enemies and you hear that uh, multiple nations have aligned and are marching against you and you're already weakened because of some other things that have been going on in, 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 you know, in time and in history around you, when you are the king and you hear that an innumerable army is coming against you and your people, of course you're afraid. When you get a phone call of bearing bad news, of course you're afraid. When you turn on the news and you read online that something is going down on the other side of the world or in our own country that is not good or that, that is threatening your way of life, of course you're afraid. Whenever something is building against you and it's just growing and you've tried to ignore it, but you just can't anymore. When you are surrounded by something that is just all around bad news and difficult to process, of course, you're afraid. That's not surprising. Of course, he was afraid. We would be afraid too. We are afraid a lot, aren't we? But fear is a natural response but I want to pay attention to what Jehoshaphat does in his fear. Look at verse three. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast 
throughout all of Judah. So without missing a beat, he's terrified, he's afraid, he's nervous. All these are natural emotions, but something in him had a predetermined decision that when I'm afraid, this is what I'm going to do. When I'm surrounded by my enemies, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to process it. I'm not going to talk to some people and see what they think. When I'm afraid, these are the first two things I'm going to do when I'm afraid. As the king of the nation, as the leader of the people, and as an individual, when I'm I am afraid. The first thing I'm going to do is seek God. And the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to fast. I'm going to proclaim a fast throughout the whole nation that the nation is going to join with me in prayer and fasting. And I'll talk about what that means in just a minute, but let's, let's break this down. In his fear, he immediately sets his face to seek the Lord and proclaims a fast throughout the land. And here's a very, very important lesson about fear. Fear is the result, is often the result, and usually the result of sensory overload. Now, sensory overload is whenever, it's almost like when a computer has too many things that are, are being, it's being asked to do and you're opening too many programs, too many apps and the computer kind of freezes and it stumbles and, and, and then it, sometimes it shuts down. You see, we are afraid when our senses are overloaded. When we see and we feel and we hear and all of a sudden our emotions are triggered and we're so overwhelmed, we're afraid. Fear is the response of our minds and our hearts when we are under sensory overload. We see danger, we hear danger, we feel danger. But the key to when we are overwhelmed in our senses, the key to what we should do when we are afraid is we have to submit our senses to God so that fear can be overpowered by faith. Now you say, well, Justin, that, that's, that's not normal. That's not natural. I know it's not. But here's the thing. When your senses are overloaded, when all of a sudden you begin to see and feel and, and, and hear things that make you afraid and overwhelmed, the only hope you have is to submit your senses to the God who gave them to you. And yes, sin has thrown us all off you know, base. Sin has caused all of us to be a little bit, you know, not like God wanted us to be and, and has caused our senses and caused our emotions to go haywire, right? Sin is what causes us to be overwhelmed and overloaded, but we have got to take our senses and submit them to God. That's the only hope we have whenever we're afraid. Otherwise, we will be dominated by fear. But when fear begins to overwhelm you, when fear begins to overload you, you've got to take your senses and submit them to God. Now, let me explain. Jehoshaphat saw the armies of God and he felt afraid. He heard the report that they were coming and he felt afraid. He saw the nation in, 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 in you know, dismay and he felt afraid. So what does he do in response? He seeks the Lord. Notice the sense there. Notice the, the sensory connection there. He saw the armies. He heard the report. He feels afraid. So what does he do? He seeks God's face. So he responds by submitting his senses to God. He saw danger. So what does he do? He seeks the Lord. And also he proclaims a fast. Now fasting is so connected to our senses because fasting is sinking our flesh 
to God. Fasting is saying our flesh thinks it needs these things to be secure and be stable and be comfortable, but we're going to cut it off from those things and we're going to give our senses to God. We're going to fast from what we are used to tasting and smelling and touching and feeling and we're going to submit those senses to God. We're going to pray and fast and sink our flesh. We're going to sink our minds and our thoughts and our feelings with God. That's not what we naturally think to do, but that is what we should supernaturally choose to do. Submit your senses to God. All this is about submitting your senses to God, refusing to allow them to be overpowered and overwhelmed by the world. And again, fear is normal. Fear is normal. Fear is an instinct that will come upon you when you see and feel and hear something that unsettles you. So you, so we must combat that sensory overload with that which will produce faith. Our flesh is prone to fear, but when we begin to seek the face of God and submit our senses to God, God will produce faith. And the only thing that's gonna produce faith is seeking God and sinking your spirit with God. Prayer and fasting is about starving the flesh of unreliable substances and causing it to submit to the Spirit of God, which will result in you being lifted up by God. Now, not only Jehoshaphat, but the whole nation begins seeking God's face and praying with him and fasting with him. Look at verse 4. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they all came to seek the Lord. So Jehoshaphat leads a nation into doing this collectively. So notice, there was a multitude coming against them. And here we see the multitude of God's people coming together to jointly seek him. Why do they come together? Why don't they just all pray from their own homes and from their own little corners of the world, their own little closets? Because like any army, God's people do better when they fight together. We do better when we fight together. Now, I know there are some circumstances when we can't get together, and we'll talk about that. But when you can, it's important and it's vital because as with any warfare, spiritual warfare is no different. The more united we are, the more together we are, the more powerful we are. No one goes to war alone. You go to war as a team. You know, there is this idea in the Western church, in the American church, that individualism is just as good as being together and being collective in fellowship and bonding with God's people. That has never been the case and that will never be the case. And that is a lie the enemy has told many of us to keep us from getting the peace and the blessing that God can only give us when we come together as the people of God. The enemy has lied and deceived so many Western Christians, Western hemisphere, American Christians, by making us think we can do it on our own. We can't. And we are lacking the power of God if we think we can and if we choose to do it alone. The Bible has always called us to come together. And when we can't get together for obvious reasons, while it's understood, it's never ideal. Do you hear that? Yes, it's not always possible, but it's never ideal. How many times do you read the Apostle Paul in the New Testament saying to the churches that he was writing to, I long to be with you. He told the the church at Rome, I'm writing you this amazing letter. I mean, the Roman letter is so amazing. But Paul said, it's still not going to be as good as me being there with you. And we read Romans and think, wow, there's nothing better. Paul would say, I'll tell you what's better. It's me being in the house with the people of God. That's what's better. Do you hear that? 
that Paul would say to the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae, he would say, I long to be with you. I want to be in the same house as you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to worship with you and pray with you and seek God's face with you. You'd think we would have learned after the last year and a half, two years, with all the legitimate reasons why we couldn't always be in the same place, you'd think we would, we would learn that there's nothing, there's nothing like being in the house full of God's people. And yet the church is struggling to figure this out in today's time. The church has thought, well, we don't need to be there. We don't need to gather together. I've got other stuff I've got to do that's more important. Listen, there's nothing more important than getting with the people of God. Ask anybody that's ever served in the armed forces. You are hopeless on the battlefield alone. You need your brother and your sister. You need a team. Ask any athlete, right? We need a team and God's people are called together to be on a team. There's nothing like a house full of God's people. All the more when a house full of God's people worship together and pray together, hell is put on notice and the enemy is put on notice. Yes, you might can get to God on your own. Listen, you can get to God on your own, but together with your brother and sister, God gets to you. You might get a hold of God on your own, but God gets a hold of us when we are gathered with our brother and sister, when we come together with our brother and sister. I hope that makes sense. Because what did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I show up when my people show up gathered together. There's strength in numbers. There's power when the enemy that prowls this earth sees the assembly of God's people praying together, worshiping together, meaning business together. When Satan stirs his armies against us and, and, and some of us, some of us, we don't realize we've been surrounded and we've even subdued ourselves. We even surrendered to the enemy because we've been trying to do it on our own for so long. <laughs> but when we are surrounded by the enemy, we need to get ourselves surrounded by God's people. There's a unique gift of encouragement and help that comes from the body of believers gathered together, worshiping together, praying together that we ourselves cannot supply on our own. The church, in church, this is why we need to reach out to those who can't physically get immersed in the body because it's not ideal to not be able to get together. But those of us who can need to do what we can to supplement those who can't. Now, if you can and you just choose not to, you're setting yourself up for defeat. The people of God need to seek his face together and agree together in prayer and fasting that we have the enemy's number and we are gonna see this victory together. Now, why would I talk about this on a night that we can't be in the house? Because it should make us that much more urgent to be here when we can and, and, and gather together with our brother and sister in our homes, in our communities for the official purpose of defeating the enemy and defeating the strongholds and breaking through those barriers that have been put up around us. So many of us are besieged by the enemy and we are being 
being choked out by the Spirit of God or choked out from the Spirit of God. We are being, you know, drowned out from the things that God's Word and God's presence and God's community offer us. We have been surrounded by the enemy. We've been fighting on our own for too long. We've given into fear and we don't know how to respond. This chapter tells us how to respond. Coming together with the people of God and making a decision. We're going to pray together. We're going to worship together. We're going to break through this barrier together and we're going to give a victory together. See a victory together. The people of God need to seek his face and agree together in prayer and in fasting that we have the enemy's number and we are going to overcome. Now I want you to listen to King Jehoshaphat as he leads the people in prayer. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? So Jehoshaphat reminds God of who he is. Of course, God knew who he was, but God likes to hear us uh, be aware of that and, and proclaim that God is almighty, that God is powerful, and that no one can overcome him and no one can withstand him. He says, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel uh, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and you have built a sanctuary in it for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save and now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. So Jehoshaphat lets us in on the fact that God allowed this battle to kind of be built up, to this, this problem to build up. And, and, and God predestined, God ordained in advance that this battle would take place. So God wouldn't let Israel defeat these nations when they first came into the land as if he was putting them over to the side, knowing there would be this day that the people would come up against them so that they might learn this valuable lesson or they might teach us this valuable lesson all these years later. Verse 11, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inheritance. So Jehoshaphat, you know, he's a little bit emotional, a little bit raw. God, you know, you didn't let us destroy them, and here they are, and they're threatening to destroy us. But verse 12, he comes to his senses. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? And listen to this. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. Listen to those two confessions. We have no power against them. And we do not know what to do with them. But what does he say? But our eyes are on you. I mean, just get a load of that confession. We are powerless against this great horde. We do not know where to even start to fight them. <laughs> but we're not going to worry about that. We don't have the power and we don't have the knowledge. But our eyes are on you because you 
have the power and you have the knowledge. And, and, and understand this, he, admit, he acknowledges that God was all powerful back in verse 6. And then he admits, that, or he reminds God of the fact that God allowed Moab and, and the people of Mount Seir and Ammon to, to still be a lingering threat. So God knew this was going to happen. God was able to prevent it, but he didn't, and he chose not to. And here they are, powerless before the enemy, without the knowledge of what to do, but Jehoshaphat appeals to the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, and he says those amazing words, our eyes are on you. Another reason we come together is because our confession is stronger when it's made together. The, the king does not feign the ability to combat the horde. He confesses his weakness, which is such an important thing for God's people to do, to be quick to do. Admit that we can't and trust that God can. Admit that we can't. Now, I know you might not would vote for a politician that would get on TV and say, I can't, but God can. But we need to see through the lies of the people that pretend that they have all the answers. We don't need someone who says, I know what to do. You can't do it without me. We need someone that says, I can't, we can't, but God can. Now, that may never happen in America. That may never happen in this fallen world or in this version of this fallen world, but we need to be prepared to see through the lies when somebody says, I can, and I know what to do, and just follow me. I've got all the answers, because they don't. They don't, and that goes for presidents. That goes for pastors. That goes for parents. Nobody. We don't need to pretend like we have the power or the knowledge, because we don't. But God does. This world needs people that are quick to confess, I can't, but God can. The longer we suppose that we can, listen, the longer we suppose that we can, that we know what to do, that, that we can figure it out, the harder we will fall when it comes to a head that we can't indeed figure it out and that we don't know what to do. When we fool ourselves and others, eventually we will crack and it will be pretty bad. A couple of different possible outcomes of when we fail to confess that we can't, but God can, when we fail to admit that we aren't able and we don't know, you eventually will panic. Eventually, if we pretend like we know and pretend like we can and eventually our backs are against the wall and we are exposed to not knowing and not able to do it, we will panic. Now, how many times have we pretended that we can handle the challenge only to finally be exposed and be proven to be helpless and we start to panic, don't we? Let me say this, God's people do way too much panicking than we have any excuse to be doing. God's people panic all too regularly. We panic because we don't do what the king did. We panic because we have held out in our own strength for too long. And once it's run out completely, our adrenaline is gone, our false hopes are dried up, and we know there's nothing we can do, and we panic. And, and if we're not careful, panicking will become a pastime. Once we give in to panic, panic will take over and convince us that we should worry and freak out. And Satan sees this weakness and he preys on it and he exploits it. And it will only get worse. And I feel like that this has been a, a constant trend, a recent trend that the church is becoming more and more panicky. Until we begin praying and seeking God's face, fasting from this world and confessing in our hearts that we can't, but we are trusting the God that can, we will be prone to panic. And, and, and come on, we, that's not a good look. That's, that's not a good look at all. And, 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 it, and it really... 
it drains us of God's power and it, and it really exposes us and the enemy will size us up and really uh, wear us down. Now, if we're not careful, another thing will happen. We will begin to revert to ungodly crutches and habits. You see, whenever we pretend like we can and pretend like we know and, and fail to admit that God does and, and trust in God, eventually when we get ourselves in a corner, we will begin to revert to ungodly crutches and habits to supplement that need that we have and to try to make us feel better as we are in that danger. So many believers fail to trust in God and seek the Lord. And when they get themselves in these sorts of fixes, they will revert to worldly comforts for any semblance of peace and security. And I don't have to go into detail about those, what those worldly comforts are. We all do it, don't we? Many people, we, we, our, our marriages have fallen apart. Our families have fallen apart. We've fallen out of church. We've you know, ruined our finances, ruined our, 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 you know, our testimonies because we have reverted to ungodly and un, uh, unchristian habits and crutches to try to give us that peace and security that only God can give us and only God can give us. If our eyes are on God, we will not worry and we will not revert. We will have faith. But here's the thing that so many of us miss. Faith is from God. It is not from us and it's not of us. Faith does not come from within us. Faith comes from God. Now, here's the thing that so many churches, I think, fail to communicate and so many Christians have a, have a wrong idea about. Faith is not like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz clicking her heels together, trying to muster up the believe, trying to muster up the, the uh, strength to say, I believe or I have faith. Faith does not come from some pit of our stomach. Faith is not worked up. Faith is not produced from ourselves. Faith comes from God. Now, I don't want to confuse you. Just follow me. We don't have faith and turn to God. That, that we don't turn to God because we have faith. We obtain faith when we turn to God. You see, God's the constant. God is the constant. And when we turn to God, we obtain faith. We have to make a decision ahead of time that when we face challenges, temptations, hardships, and struggles, that we were gonna turn to God. And when we, don't tur when we turn to God, we will find faith. Now listen, this is true even when you don't feel like it. We've got to make a habit of seeking God's faith. Our feelings will be overpowered and God will instill in us faith that we can face the battle that we're facing. So if you feel like your faith is lacking, it's natural, it's human. But God says, just turn towards me and I'll do a supernatural work in you and through you and I will give you faith. The disciples prayed, Lord, give us faith. Paul says in Ephesians 2, it is not of yourselves, it is a gift from God. Faith comes from seeking God's faith. And we need to do more of that as his people. And even if you're just a, and here's how powerful God is. If you begin to seek his faith and you are just, you know, you don't even know if you take it for real. You don't even know if you, you know, have, expect anything to happen. When you begin to seek God's face and you begin to open the door for him to work in your lives, his spirit is so powerful and his grace is so amazing that he will break through and he will change even the heart that has an ounce of doubt in it. When you begin to seek God's face, especially in the, people, in the community of God's people with the prayer of God's of God people, when you begin to seek God's faith, God will instill in you a faith that is not of this world. 
Now I want you to listen to what the prophet of God says as the people are seeking God's face. God raises up a prophet uh, in verse number 14. The Spirit of God came upon uh, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benani, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So this guy was, uh, had a family history. And I love that the Bible gives us the exact details of who someone is and you could trace their family tree down and find them. So this guy says, listen, all of you uh, people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord God to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow go down ahead against them, they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them in the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. All Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. God promises to fight for them, but this would not be passive. God would fight for them by fighting through them and being with them. Notice God does not say, hey, y'all stay there, I'll go do this for you. No, he says, y'all gotta go on the battlefield. You gotta walk out of this secure sanctuary and you gotta step onto the battlefield, the place that you do not want to go. You've got to step onto that battlefield and face your enemy, but know this, I am gonna go with you. I am gonna be with you. This is not your battle, it's mine, but you have got to show up. This wouldn't go how they expected it to go, though. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed his head and with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of uh, Korah and the children of the uh, of Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with the voices loud and high. So they rose up early in the morning, they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who would praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Notice what Jehoshaphat led the people to do. We're gonna go on the battlefield and we're gonna thank God for bringing us here. We are going to thank God who is holy and perfect. We're going to thank him for bringing us to the very place that we would pray he not bring us to. How many of us pray, God, protect us, bless us? We all do that, right? Nobody prays, God, lead me to the battlefield so that I might be able to praise you in front of the enemy. Nobody prays that, but this is what God does. And this is what Jehoshaphat leads them to do. I want us to go out and worship God. I want you to go out and praise the beauty of holiness, a holy and perfect God who just so happened to let these enemies of ours fester on the sideline for all these years. He brings them against us. He brings us before them and he's not giving us an out. We've got to face them. We've got to confront them and in the midst of our enemy, in the presence of our enemy, we are going to thank God for bringing us to this battle. This is where a lot of us would bail out, isn't it? Go on the battlefield, face your enemy, and the first thing I want you to do is say, God, thank you for this battle. Because on this battlefield, 
you are going to make yourself known. And through me, your servant, you are going to make your faithfulness known. Thank you for putting me here. I know, I know, I know, nobody naturally thinks to do this in the waiting room of a hospital, God forbid, in a funeral home, in your family room when you're trying to figure out where to go from that issue that isn't gonna resolve itself. None of us sit on the side of the road after an accident and say, thank you, God, for this battlefield. Thank you for bringing me here. That's not normal. But this is not a normal chapter and these are not normal people. And you and I as Christians are not normal. God has invited us to be a part of something supernatural, be a part of something that is far out of this world. Jehoshaphat leads the people to not be afraid and they seek God's face. And then the prophet says, go on the battlefield. This is not your battle. This is not gonna uh, require you to fight, but this is gonna require you to show up and it's gonna require you to worship and praise and seek God's face in the presence of your enemies with your voices lifted loud and high. You're gonna worship the Lord and say, give thanks to the Lord. His mercy endures forever. The mercy of God that has brought us to this battlefield, this battle that we are not going to lose or fall, but we are going to come out victorious. God gives them the faith to face their enemies and through worship, through spiritual warfare, they overcome. So many of us, we fight battles with the world's ways and the world's words and the world's weapons. And no wonder we're in bondage to the world. No wonder we don't see victories. This world is no match for the church that comes together to seek God's face and cuts itself off from worldly pleasures in order to be overpowered by heaven. We have got to start coming together as God's people and deciding to do things differently and to do things spiritually. Then and only then will we grow in our faith and be able to face the armies of hell. God can still do supernatural things through his people when we follow this book's prescription. Verse 22 says that when they began to sing and praise the Lord, God set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated, and they were confused, and they destroyed each other. The worship of God's people confounded the enemy and sent a message to all the surrounding armies. God is unrivaled, and God is uncontested. God promises to fight for us by fighting through us if we come to him on his terms and by his way. So church, if you're tired of losing, if you're tired of struggling, if you're tired of being in bondage to this world, it's time we rise up as God's people and seek his face. Whether you feel like it or not, get with your brother and sister believer and pray together, fast together, worship together and repeat verse 12. We have no power. We have no knowledge, but you do. Our eyes are on you. When God's people all have their eyes on him and only him, then we will see our faith grow and see his kingdom grow. And then the word says to us, like the prophet says to the people, you will not need to fight in this battle, but possess 
position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. But we've got to position ourselves. We've got to step on the battlefield without the weapons of the world, without the ways of the world, without the warfare of the world. Step onto the battlefield, praising God for the opportunity to see him work. Maybe we are in this constant struggle as a generation, as a church, because we have yet to say to the Lord, thank you for the battle. Thank you for bringing me here, positioning me here. Lord, give me faith. As I seek your faith, give me faith that I might worship you in the presence of the enemies. God, you've brought me here for this purpose so that I might make your power known, that I might confess I can't, but you can. When we seek his face, only when we confess verse 12 will we hear verse 15 spoken over us and will we see verse 22 take place before us as the enemies fall, as we see victory and as God's people prove to the world our God is able and we as his people are prepared to go anywhere and do whatever for his glory. And we will be quick to confess, we don't have the power and we don't know the way, but our eyes are on God. And we stand here before this army, not afraid, but prepared to worship him no matter what. I think this chapter is so amazing. I pray that you would study it and I pray that we would repeat the steps taken by Jehoshaphat and his people, that we would seek the face of God and seek him as a people, as a church, that we might be able to fight the battles that God has given us to fight. We might see him work through us and fight through us and for us and bring us victory. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word. Our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do and we don't have the power to face the enemies that surround us, but you do. Our eyes are on you because you know what to do. God, give us the strength, give us the faith to go onto the battlefield, to praise you for the opportunity to be in that position and to give you the glory for the occasion so that we might see you show up and show the world that there is a God who is uncontested and unrivaled. God, thank you for this gathering tonight. Thank you for those that have come together with us online. Would you bless each and every one that is watching that is listening to this, uh, would you keep us all safe and warm as we uh, weather out uh, these cold few days and bring us together on Sunday for a great time of worship. We'll give you praise and glory for all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being part of our service tonight. Hope this has been a blessing to you. Would you share this with somebody so that it might be a blessing to them. Hope to see you on Sunday. Until then, take care.